Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Good evening, everybody. What is up? Welcome into the Liberty Tell Liberty Lounge. My name is Jim Todd. I'll be your host for you. Uh, I'm super excited uh, to bring on a friend of mine in the in the Twitterverse, uh, the the chair of Duval County uh, LP. <laughs> Uh, you probably know him as Liberty Dad. Uh, he is a husband, dad, considers himself an observationalist, a cyclist, home improvement, DIYer, libertarian, and he spends most of his day chasing his two and a half year old around the house. Uh, and when he's not doing that, he's writing code to automate tasks, which, uh, for any salesperson is extremely important. A terrible student but he considers himself an avid learner. He finds success by just going headfirst into what he does. After spending almost a decade in process optimization and management, where he regularly interacts with engineers, salespeople, leadership, he left his job to stay at home and uh, spend more time with his family and studied web development uh, and went on to write code professionally. Like I said, DL is currently the chair of the Libertarian Party of Duval. If you don't know, that is Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the largest city in Florida, and uh, he draws upon his observation and experience to lead. He is all speaker as a certified Toastmaster. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in D.L. Cummings. How are you, brother? 
Good. How are you, sir? Doing so well. Um, so I am from, so you, like me, are from the land of the perpetually hot. And so I find that most of my Twitter arguments are about who has the better weather, Arizona or Florida. Settle that issue right now. Florida. <laughs> so now that we've done that, we can go ahead and move on to more interesting topics. Absolutely. All right, you ready to talk some shop? Talk no, um, shop. you know, I think it really depends on whether or not you are more of a fan of dry weather, because I believe you have a drier climate, or the more humid. I don't have a whole lot of experience with the drier climate, but for me, warm is warm, right? Like, as long as it's, like, <laughs> blistering hot, I'm okay. When it starts getting under, like, I don't know, 60, I start yeah. whining like a little school child. Yeah, January here is 70s, uh, mm. but it is dry, uh, so okay. it is a little colder. And so we get uh, we get to flex on the number. We're like, oh, we hit 120 this summer. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, like it's I, I growing up in Alabama, uh, which is very similar to um, it to Florida, except for bugs, I guess. Mm -hmm. The reality is, I uh, give me give me 120 in Arizona over 95 at 90 in Alabama. Uh, right. All right. Well, now that the pleasantries are out of the way, let's talk some shop. Yes. So on that note, uh, I I thought uh, a few weeks back about, you know, because this discussion comes up a lot. It's better to live in a red state. It's better to live in a blue state. And I think as you actually look at some of the states that have the most freedom, Mm -hmm. uh they're pretty purple um right. i i think florida's pretty purple uh texas is at risk of going blue every uh, like within the last two elections uh mm -hmm. the presence of people in austin uh is in and dallas has always been kind of a blue area uh and then arizona as well uh being a, a pretty purple state what because growing up in alabama it's about as red as it gets right i didn't really feel like we embraced freedom so what are your thoughts on this idea that the right loves freedom and the left hates freedom uh coming from somebody who is surrounded by both so i'm technically not surrounded by both because the way that florida works we have um we have a highway called i4 and it kind of goes almost right in the middle of the state right across so, so as you're so if you can imagine coming down i-95 and then you have this corridor that kind of goes right diagonally across, you know, from mm -hmm. the uh, from the East Coast um, uh, to the West Coast of Florida. And that seems to be the dividing line. So on top, you have more red and below you have more blue. So my experience has been primarily with uh, the, the more red. Now, Duval just recently, I think if I remember correctly, for the first time in like decades, went blue in the national election, uh, in, in the last uh, presidential election. And I've only been here about eight years, so I'm not terribly, you know, terribly familiar with uh, the dynamics of red versus blue here. Um, so it's kind of weird. So I, I think other states, and, and I don't know because, I, I, you know, I came from South Carolina and then before that from Indiana. And so those are relatively red states, just okay, kind of yeah. period, right? So I don't really have a lot of experience with this mix. So for me, my experience is like quite literally this half and then this half. 
is that the same where you are where it's or is it more intermixed amongst everybody so here in phoenix it's very intermingled now um i would say that so i learned something pretty interesting so maricopa maricopa county where phoenix is is the third no (coughs) largest voting district in the united states of america behind la county so some of the bigger cities are a little more spliced up but maricopa county falls as its own with a little over five million uh in in population and that is pretty that is pretty purple uh i'm not gonna lie there's we we have a uh we're we're a red state with a very blue governor or i'm sorry a a red governor with a very blue mayor over phoenix um there's this intermingle of red and blue mayors on all the suburban cities around it so it is pretty mesh but uh, the outskirts, the I call it Kakesh land, uh, <laughs> the, the, the desert, uh, right. where you can, you can get lots of acreage. That is, that is red as can be. Okay. Uh, the, those are blue collar people who, uh, embrace their guns. They, they take over missile silos and like live off the grid that those are some wild folks. Tucson down South, uh, very, very blue, very okay. blue. It's a little closer to the border. Um, but, I find that that sort of stalemate, at least within mm-hmm. voting borders, is what creates a, a little bit more freedom than right. one group being able to run away with it. So, right. I don't know. That was just a thought. Now, I, I the first person I've talked to from Florida on the show, so I uh, wanted to wanted to get your perspective on that. Yeah, it's it, you know it's an interesting mix down here. So, uh, or over here, I guess maybe a little bit more accurate, but. Um, I have I haven't I don't I don't have a lot of experience with below the I four so I don't I don't know what it's like necessarily. Cool, cool. Um, so being in Duval, I, I assume so you have a much bigger market for Red America. It would be one way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you guys using, and how are you marketing to that group? What are some of the hot button things that you focus on at, as? to reach in the party of freedom relatively red air we're just getting started um and and i say that because duval had a when i first started in 2017 we actually disaffiliated because our chair stepped down and then nobody replaced him and then oh. i got with some other people and i said hey let's get this thing back up and running because you know I joined for a reason, not to have nothing. And so we got it back up and going. And then we were slow going for a while. And eventually it got to the point where I think we started to find a groove. And then I became the chair. And I th- there was a, a nice foundation by that time to, to build off of. And so then I kind of said, you know what, let's have this, let's have this two-year plan. And what's interesting about the two-year plan is we actually only elect our officers for one year at a time. Oh. But I, what I felt was it's appropriate for a leader to give them a long-term vision yes. and then very identifiable, some metrics from which to, uh, to, to judge me by. And then after a year, if everybody likes the plan and it appears that we are on path to get to that plan to meet those goals, then I would be reelected again. Yeah. So, um, so part of it, there, there was a whole bunch of things 
that I had kind of set out to do. And most of it was really just to do primarily two things, build our local party, just bring, mm -hmm. you know, reach out to the voters, uh, that, that the people that are already libertarian, they're registered libertarian. Yeah. And we have about 2,700 of them, uh, mm -hmm. registered libertarians in Duval County. And right now we're running about, uh, about 15 on average people that come to our meetings. Now we haven't started reaching out to them yet, but that is one of the goals. And gotcha. then the other thing was to, to have a candidate, at least one candidate run. And I got really fortunate because three people showed up and they're rock solid libertarians. After we sat down and had a conversation, I was like, man, these are like, not only did just three people show up, but three good people showed up. So that was, right. you know, so like, I don't know how you measure that, but that that's, that's a heck of a success that I was not expecting. And, Absolutely. and so now what we're trying to do is we're, we, what we are first trying to do is build a presence. And mm -hmm. so we go out and we, we do like once a month, we go out to the park and we'll just do a cleanup. Okay. We'll get a bunch of pictures taken. We'll put it on there. We'll start posting it. And we've noticed that there's been an increase in social media interaction from other people. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I wanted to, I would have went if I had known about it. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But the fact is they're starting to engage. They're starting to take right. notice. Right. And that's one of the things that we wanted to create was this um, real, not just a perspective, but this real um, vi uh, visual of, hey, the party is doing something. And mm -hmm. so one of those was to get out and start cleaning up. Another one was to get out to events, because the more events that we can get to, the more eyeballs that are on us, the more ears that hear us. And um, so what, what we end up doing is just basically touching people. So it's, it's kind of like right. commercials without yeah. the budget of commercials, right? We're out there doing footwork instead. And so that's kind right. of what we're doing right now is just getting out and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to let people know that, hey, there's a party here and we're doing stuff. I have been told that years ago, our party was more of a debate club. And yeah. I don't know how people felt years about ago. it at the time. <laughs> right. Like this is like maybe five, maybe even closer to 10 years ago. So way before I even came to Duval, I think. And I don't know how people felt about it, but I know how people tend to feel about it now is that mm -hmm. they would prefer a more active um, affiliate. So that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to make a more active affiliate so that we can get more people involved. Because the, the unfortunate reality is it's very hard to sell an idea, you know, in the realm of liberty, in the realm of politics, when there's only one or two of you, because yes. people really do look at the numbers. They look at it and they're like, mm -hmm. I mean, we already, everybody, every libertarian knows this. They look at it and they say, yeah, you're a third party. I mean, you might steal some votes from the Republicans or you might steal them from the Democrats, but your ideas aren't really going to go anywhere. Right. So it's, yeah. so it's very difficult. So, so, um, and, and I'm going to do something dangerous here, not, not terribly dangerous, but a little bit. <laughs> Um, a long time ago, I read The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I'm, not a, I'm not a Trumper, but I, I, I think there's, you know, you can find golden nuggets anywhere. And Absolutely. in that book, he pointed out, he said, uh, I think he was telling somebody that when you don't have success to rely on, when you don't have a lot to say, to point to, you create mm -hmm. the perception of success. Like, I'm going to be successful. And right. so that's kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to say like, look, yeah, we can be successful and 
we will be successful and and not like not a conditional sense right not like we will mm -hmm. be successful once everybody joins our party we will be successful in the near future successful in what well we're going to go and clean the parks we're going to go yeah. and do this we're going to go and do that we're running three city council candidates right so we mm -hmm. are just constantly getting out there and doing stuff and and it's a very tricky balance because you only have so many people and you don't want to burn them right. out but you also yeah. want to be active and you want to give people a reason to be involved so that's our yeah. first goal right now is to reach out more to the libertarians but we're not forgetting that there are other people who are disaffected sure. and the moment we get a chance we uh you, you know my goal is to say what is it that you're looking for and then from there we can say here's how the ideas of liberty as we see it will meet your needs so that's what we right. got going on it was a bit of a long way around it but hopefully that answered your question it, it really it, it it was but it, phenomenal helps me kind of understand the perspective on what you're where you're at in duval because all these local affiliates are all at different places and mm -hmm. but uh, you you really showed your sales prowess there with simplifying the sales process okay it is it is as simple as ask questions what do you right. value what is important to you mm -hmm. and then matching those issues that they care about those problems that they have with a solution and that solution right. is liberty and showing them how it can be done so that's phenomenal um so let's let you um you you mentioned about like defining success and success may be at this point we're going to clean a park uh it reminded me of something i've i've been studying a lot from a leadership perspective mm -hmm. on and you mentioned burnout uh it's called expectancy theory from from victor vroom and there's okay. basically three elements that come into human motivation uh he, he applies it to the workplace but i think it really works anywhere number 1 is can i do the task that is being asked of me, like, do I have mm -hmm. arms? Do I have legs? Can I, do I have the tools necessary to accomplish what I'm supposed to, what I target set out to do? Number two is if I accomplish it, will it set out, if I do this task, will it achieve the result that I want the goal? So if I make these phone calls, will I set or will I make a certain number of sales? And then the third element is is that hitting that target has to be worth it in your value system, right? So do I get enough value out of hitting my goal in order for me to justify it? So right. can I do it? Does it does it work? And then right. is it valuable or are the three things? And that that's something I talked with Spike about is like we have to redefine what winning is. And right. winning for us at, at certain points in order so people don't get burnt out is like, look, our, our winning for us is 5%, whatever it may be on a national level, but right. you know, and, and whatever it may be locally, then you can maintain motivation because I don't know about you, but every, I see a, a lot of work be put in every four years to mm -hmm. get people fired up. And I, DL, and I mean this with all the love in the world, like, where are these people who actually think we're going to win? Like, no, the system, we're not there. The system is not set up. There are a lot of things in our way. We're not going to win. So we have to measure our accomplishments. And maybe it's that we don't get enough value out of hitting these smaller marks for people mm -hmm. to go, yeah, it was worth it. But I think if we can restructure and find that, um, it can really get rid of that sort of dip and lull and right. like heartbreak and frustration 
And that's when I see a lot of people give up and they either go, screw this, it doesn't work, I'm going to go to one of the big two parties, or they go, you know, it's going to not be political anymore. Right. Um, so that that was a thought. Uh, so any, think of it this way. Add? Yeah. yeah, think of it this way. Um, you've probably seen any number of military movies, right? Mm-hmm. Are you prior service, by the way? No. Okay, so I am, and I, and so I, I do kind of understand some of the mentality that that occurs. I've never been in an actual like battle. I've been in war zones, but they were pretty right. calm and peaceful. But I do understand from a military perspective the the thinking that a lot of soldiers have when they go over into a foreign country and they're into battle. So one of the things that all service members really um, that's it's it's a very high value for them is that they don't want to mess up and cause their buddy to die, right? right? I don't want to make a mistake that costs my buddy his life. That's a big thing. But I also want to win the war, clearly. I wouldn't, you know, if I'm going over there and we're going to set aside any libertarian views on whether or not we should even be at war, just think of it like we're there, we're trying to fight. I'm there to win the war, but, and and I want to win, and I'm aiming to win. I'm, I'm working hard. But I also recognize that if we lose, if none of my buddies die, if I don't cause any of their deaths, that in itself is its own win. And I think we need to think along that line, you know, like, hey, yes, I want to win the national election. But as long as this other thing happens, I can at least feel good in some sense, right? Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it's a parallel. It's not exactly a one-to-one, obviously, because right. if you lose a war, there's implications and whatnot. But the idea is just to kind of separate that thinking and say, all right, there's this major goal that I want to win. Bring my hand down here. There's this major goal that I, I, I want, that I'm seeking to win. But then there's this other one that's directly in front of me. And I think that's yeah. what we need as a community to start really thinking about. Like, hey, we've got three candidates that are running for city council i want every single one of them to win absolutely right but i also have some smaller goals that are going to make me feel good even if we don't win and i think what we need to do is figure out what are those smaller goals if we don't win what are the goals that are going to make us feel good about the work that we did and when i don't think we identify those and i think we need to start identifying those Mm -hmm. so that people feel um you know because what happens is people get fired up every four years and yep. you see it, you see this like this, this arc and people are fired up and then it kind of slowly goes down. And, you know, I, there was a, uh, there was an image of the donations from the, the national yep. party that was going around and people were using it in, a, in an inappropriate way. But right. there was really telling because basically if you go back and you look, you see like every yeah. four years you see this like spike and then it kind of goes down. And yep. I think that's how people's motivation also ends up being like they get really motivated and then it just i don't want to say it dies off but it just kind of like fizzles away you know yeah. just kind of slowly goes down and i think what would be better is if we had it go up and come down it's naturally going to come down a little bit yeah. but maybe plateau a little bit because people yeah. are invigorated because they say hey these smaller goals yeah we nailed you know we yeah. nailed them whatever those are and, and they may be different from state to state even affiliate you know local affiliate to local mm-hmm. affiliate Absolutely. So defining your goals is going to be uh, extremely important in that. Um, so let me ask you this question, because this comes up a lot. And I, I think I know how you're going to answer this. Uh, at least I hope. Uh, what is what what is if we had to put a mission for the Libertarian Party? 
right now, today, uh, is that mission to win elections, uh, to spark social change, or and like wake up the masses, or to just grow the party? So let's see. My options that you gave me were grow. Are any other options? What is the mission? Right. What is the mission because of the I, Libertarian it, Party? Yeah. So, is it to win elections or is it to wake up the masses, basically? So I sharply disagree with a lot of my libertarian peers. I say that the Libertarian Party, its mission is to win elections and influence legislation. Okay, That's its mission. But that doesn't mean that the mission of subgroups or people has to be that necessarily same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you talk about, like, say, the local level at an affiliate level, our mission, our primary mission is not necessarily to win elections, although it is right now we have three mm -hmm. candidates that are running. So that is definitely on our uh, uh, high up on our priority list. Right. But I think part of our mission and I believe that the ground, um, not, not the ground, but the 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 closer you are to people. That's where you start getting into things like educating, firing people up, so on and so forth. Now, if you happen to have that Ron Paul moment, yeah. you know, I wasn't part of the Ron Paul moment, but I, but, you know, just by observing a lot of peers, it's very clear that there was this, this moment, you know, even if it was like a, mm -hmm. you know, not like a single moment, like a second, but there was right. a, this, this time when a figure really just sparked the fire in people. And to me, that's great, but we can't rely on that because Correct. what you're doing is you're putting two – it's basically putting all your eggs in a single basket. You're waiting for that one candidate to spark the revolution. Now, I think that when you get that candidate, if you so happen to get somebody that just fires people up, if people on the, um, on the affiliate level and the state level have been doing what they should be doing, in my opinion, then what happens is you are ready – everybody's ready to capitalize on that. Right. Yes. And that's that's where that needs to happen, because the Ron Paul, when you know what I hear, in, you know, you mentioned this because I sent it to you that I'm an observationalist. So here's what I've observed. Mm -hmm. People, when they talk about Ron Paul, they talk about mostly when Ron Paul ran for for president. president. Right. I don't hear a lot of people talking about like, oh, man, what really got me going was hearing Ron Paul on his podcast. Yeah. Right, and it's not to say it wasn't effective. It's not to diminish it, but any anyway, what what I'm getting at is there seems to be a very specific time frame under which most people identify Ron Paul is really getting them fired up, and it was when he yeah. was running for presidency, uh, for for yeah. the uh, for the presidency, and um and so and so this is why I believe that we cannot rely on those kind of leaders per se, because. It's a very narrow window, and it only happens once every four years if we happen to have the we, right yeah. person. You know, yeah. we haven't had a Ron Paul since. Nobody has ever since said, "Oh, this presidential candidate fired me up to libertarianism." Nobody yeah. has said that, and he ran 
I don't remember because I wasn't really involved per se, but he, he, he ran what in the, in the nineties, eighties, oh, eight and like 12. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. He, well, and, oh, but he Lord. also, he, so he ran as a Republican in 08 and 012 and he had the Giuliani moment. And then again, right. in, in 2012, he kind of lived off of that uh, right. run, but they, they just completely shut him down. But a lot of people don't know he was a libertarian party candidate uh, in the early, late eighties, early nineties. Right. Right. First. right. Yeah. So yeah, I got my dates uh, all jacked up. Sorry, yeah, everybody. Don't good. be mad at me. Back Dad in those days, it. I was a conservative and I was barely paying attention. So I apologize. But, you know, so I, I, I think that I think the answer to your question is, you know, what is the mission? The mission of the party should be to influence elections and to, uh, I'm sorry, influence legislation and win elections. And then you get the state level. I think the state level is where you really get the support for local affiliates. And literally, you are helping build momentum in the state. And then I feel like at the local level, that's where it's our job to um, reach out to individuals, to help provide training, um, all the different things. And, you know, and, and when if you were to look at my my two year plan, it included some of that. I said, look, we need to grow as members. We you know, maybe you just want to be a member that gets better at delivering the message. I want to help grow that. Maybe you have aspirations to go on and work at the state level or the national level. I want to help grow that. I want to help prepare you for that. So we like, for instance, I'll give you a great example. Um, and please jump in anytime because I'm, I'm a chatty one. Okay. No, please. One, one of the things that we, that I try to do is to um, hold a meeting in a formal manner, according to Robert's rules of order. Okay. When you're a smaller body, when you've got like 10 people, you have a lot of flexibility to not do that because People aren't as ornery necessarily. There's not as much combative nature. It's just it's just easier, you know. So it's nat you naturally can get away with not necessarily following all the the steps. But I try to follow them in as much as I can because I know that some some you know hopefully some people will want to move on to the state level and do things. They'll want to go on to the national level, and it becomes much more critical that they understand the proper procedures and the and, and they understand uh, the process. And if they go in there ignorant, then I look at it and I say, as a leader, I have failed them. I failed them. Yeah. I didn't I didn't prepare them so that they could go on and do their best at the state and the national level or wherever they go. Right. So to me, a lot of this training um, happens primarily at the local level. That doesn't mean that I say that national or state shouldn't be involved. I think they should be. Right. But that's not their primary for me, in my opinion. Right. I I think there's there's two things. I'll start with the, the winning elections. I you 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 can't put the cart in front of the horse. Right. right. I, I I'm from Alabama, so I get to bring up Nick Saban as mm -hmm. too, it's my show. Right. Right. Uh, but he talks about you don't focus on winning. You focus on everything it takes in order to win. And right. so for me, I think if you want to win, you got to focus on waking up the masses. It's like <clears throat> A leads to B. Right. What what really bothers me is the political conversation, like the conversation where like we feel like we can politically strategize our way into it without uh -huh. being persuasive. And right. like you said, I think that can be done organizing on the local level, but at a, at a bigger picture, it's, it's just not going to work. We're not going to be able right. to strategically that that just doesn't work. So we have to focus on having conversations with dinner table conversations with one another, mm -hmm. with our friends interacting on social media. Each one, can we double 
you know, and, and that sort of thing, then those people become as on fire, I guess, as we are, and right. they become voters essentially right. that that turn right. around to each one, teach one, and that that it, it's sort of a chicken and egg, um, and so that that always drove me crazy. But not what I want to talk about. You hit some that I don't know if you know. I'm running for LNC uh, after right. seeing all the nonsense at large, and, right? Yes. Yeah. Because we, we are moving. Um, next June, my family will be relocating to Kentucky uh, so we can be closer to my wife's family and my family okay. with the little dude. Um, and so it, it's not in the cards to run for region, which would be more appropriate, but I can't. So we're going at large. And okay. my the second point in my platform is to, to make the National Party begin to focus on developing their people. Because mm-hmm. in order to wake people up, you have to grow your people as you look around the party right now there mm-hmm. are some incredible people but there are also right. people who don't know where they're sleeping tonight there are people who can't hold down a job there are people who don't have the skills to function as a successful human we're kind of we're, we're kind of the awkward kids in the room when it comes down to it and so right. that's part of the goal of this show because I I was awkward kid. I was I was an emo kid before sales, and right. you know I had like an eyebrow ring at one point, and then right. at twenty I was thrust into running my first business, uh, the profit, having to meet other people um, in, in their payroll. That those sort of pressures really force you into growing yourself, and I that's where I developed this obsession with reading the works of Dale Carnegie and, uh, you know, Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and all Mm -hmm. all of those. And and it got me hooked on that culture. And I'm saying, man, if we would focus on growing our people, our people will party. And so that was very, very exciting to hear. It's the second plank in my platform. And we don't need to bring in political strategists who are going to tell us, Oh, well, what you need to do to appeal to the left is stop talking about this libertarian principle or what you need to do to appeal to the right is stop talking about this libertarian principle. That's nonsense. What works is when people see you, they're impressed by you and they want to be like you. So they come and they go, oh, I'll give you a great. So I'm at I I just started working again and uh, one of my coworkers. She's a little younger. Her her boyfriend's in the military. Uh, We were talking about Joe Rogan the other day. Mm-hmm. And so you know exactly what I talked about. I go, hey, did you see the Dave Smith episode? Right, right. And and it sparked this conversation. And she goes, oh my gosh, you know. And she's been like, has a a a, a certain level of respect for me because I'm one of her leaders. But right. we've also had great picks of conversation that didn't involve this. And so right. that was my window. But if I'm somebody who like she hates at work because I'm not intelligent. I'm not a good leader. Right. I, that, that, that falls on deaf ears. It, it starts right. with improving who we are and right. then the party imp- like it, becoming the best version of yourself will help this party become the best version of itself. Right. So anyways, I'm very, very excited to hear that. Um, any any thoughts on that? I I want to. We're so we're going up. We're swapping tangents, man. We're no, it's good. It's it good. Um, so rolling back a little bit, you had mentioned that you know about political strategists and you know trying to play the game like the the left and the right do. And I think the biggest problem with that is that we are not. Um, if if you think about it, we are not up at the level of them. And I don't necessarily mean like 
quality of our ideas or our integrity or anything like that. I just mean that in, in the context of we do not have the attention of the masses. We do not have the perception of what we're going to deliver of the masses that they do. Clearly, a lot of people believe that the Republicans are going to deliver a certain thing. A lot of people believe that the Democrats are going to deliver a certain thing. And we know this because when we talk to people, they say, oh, you know, <laughs> like every libertarian has heard this, right? Well, I would vote libertarian, but you guys are just not going to win. <laughs> right. And so there I, you know, people are turning us down, not on the basis of our ideas. And, and maybe that's the real issue. Right. I tend to believe that most people, when they talk to us, they talk at the surface level and you have to dig down a little bit to find out what yeah. it is that they're really saying. But yeah. but but even assuming that, that you know, they're, they're not their dismissal is not on the basis of the ideas, not typically. I mean, there, there are some people, you know, have their perceptions. Um, or, you know, what they believe, you know, our ideas mean or how they will end up playing out. But a lot of the times it's really just a matter of, oh, you guys are too small to have an impact. And mm -hmm. so okay. I think in that particular context, we we have to do things a little differently. And this is the whole underdog, right? The underdog has an uphill yeah. battle. They have to fight things a little bit differently. They have to come out of nowhere. They have to surprise people. We're not surprising people, and I don't necessarily mean with right. wins. We need to really deliver some surprises to people when we're having a conversation, and and they need to, oh. they like they okay. need to be surprised okay. at what they think they know about us. And okay. are we doing that? Are we surprising people? I don't think we are, you know. And and I'll, I'll give you, I, I don't I don't mean this to sound boastful. But again, I try to I, I operate on the basis of observation. So what I do is I observe things that I, I see happening around me, and then I draw conclusions based on that, and maybe things that I've read or things that I've heard from other people. And so I've every Friday night I have we have friends come over, and it varies on which ones. But we have one particular friend that, that comes over all the time, and uh, I did a podcast episode on you know discussion with the progressive. I guess you know, in further conversation, we've determined that maybe progressive isn't quite the right word. Um, and that's mm -hmm. just because I think maybe the progressive is kind of going a little bit further left than he is. So maybe he's now considered a moderate, maybe like right. 10 years ago, he was more of a progressive. I don't you yeah. know. But um, I, when I have a conversation, he's a smart guy. He's not, a, he's not a dumb guy, right at all, you know? And when I have a conversation with him, Sometimes I'll see something like this. He'll be like, all right, you know, and, and you can see that yeah. I've spurred some thought, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't convince him. He wasn't like, oh, wow, you're totally right. And, you know, wow, that's such a brilliant idea. And now I'm ready to be a libertarian, like not even close. But what he does is you can see it written on his face that something has caught him by surprise, Right. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. And I think we mm -hmm. need to start looking to deliver surprises to people when we have a conversation. With them. Right. They need to be because when people are surprised, then they're like, that's interesting. I'm going to have to give that one some thought. Yeah. But if they're not surprised, if they're like, man, this is the, the same stale argument that I've heard every single time, then yeah. they're already prepared to dismiss it. So yeah. we need to really work. And this is why I give such you know, libertarians such a hard time because I'll see, you know, libertarians post online. They're like, oh man, look at all these books. You know, they'll show like seven yeah. books and they're all libertarian books. And I'm like, where's your communication books? 
Where are your books on social interaction? Where are your books on um, on anything else? Sales, leadership, sales, right? leadership, organization, something. Right? How to win friends and influence enemies? Or I always get jacked up. This is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you do something funny. You know, try yeah. to be funny, and you come up with a new way of saying it, and you do it long enough, and then you can't undo it. You yeah. So yeah, now I can't even say the book's name correctly. <laughs> um, but but this is the kind of you know, like there are tons of like if somebody were to say like what what book should I read? I'm like, man, I tell you what, I got lots of books that you can read that mm -hmm. I think would go a long way because at the end of the day, all we're really doing is trying to convince somebody else to see our point of view. That's what we're trying yeah. to do, and and the rest of the world they're not philosophers they're you know right. you, you're not going to deliver this logically sound idea and they're going to be like wow that's really good and you didn't use a single logical fallacy whatsoever i mean i'm gonna have to, <laughs> like nobody nobody thinks that way right exactly. Human, we, we have to learn how to deliver um an an idea that hits their emotions yes you know and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but that is a matter of knowing your audience. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, that to me, that's that's where we are. We are the underdog. We cannot compete. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we don't entirely toss it all out. Maybe the right. national level, maybe they do play some of those games because to a degree, there is a game and there are rules to it. And you do got to play to those rules to some degree. But I yeah. think what we I think our failure is relying on them too much. Yes. Right, we, we, we yeah. rely on the political games too much. We rely on um, uh, logic too much. What we need to do is we need to come out. We need to surprise people. And if we're not surprising people, then we need to reevaluate. What are we doing? Why are why are people not surprised when I talk to them? Right. Then then yeah. That I I love that idea of surprises. I'm like a great salesperson. I'm going to steal it. I hope that's okay. And, uh, and and run with it because that that's phenomenal. Um, so recently in the Liberty Movement, there has they, they would say, yeah, all that stuff is great, but take a look around you. The world is burning down mm -hmm. as as we as we go through it. And there's a conversation about time preference and this creation of this group that uh, they either are or aren't going by the term post libertarians, but basically they're saying politics at this point in time is useless you got to focus on something else and they they go the the short game is your only option right now and that made me think of speaking of reading other books mm -hmm. uh it's stephen covey and the seven habits of highly effective people i thought it was really right. funny as we were discussing this show i was like hey have you heard of this and you're like i'm not sure and then you go look on your bookshelf and there it is. This right. is one of those that's like right there with Carnegie and how to win friends and influence right. people. Everybody owns this book, right? Uh, there's a chapter in there where we talk about uh, urgent versus important uh, mm -hmm. and how leaders make decisions about that. And I will, I can actually bring it up. Um, and I just want your thoughts on that. Like, are we too far gone uh, for for politics to make a difference in people's lives, how would a leader look at this? And uh, you know, kind of what's your thoughts on while I bring this on the sure. So let me backtrack a little bit. A while uh, last year, Florida had we hosted a uh, our, our state convention and we hosted um, a debate with all the presidential candidates. 
And um, I did a podcast on the presidential candidates afterward, but I wanted to be a little different about it. So what I said was like, instead of, instead of saying who I like and all the rest are poo poo or whatever, I said, I'm going to assign a single word to every single candidate. And then I'm going to describe why that word fits them. And so I went through and, you know, of course I did nail down which one that I thought was the one out of the group that should be the presidential nominee. But then what I did was I said, here is a word for this one. Here's a word for this one. Here's a word for this one. And this is where they belong in the liberty movement. And one of the things that I find frustrating is that people tend to, in the liberty movement, we tend to have this idea like your idea sucks. My idea is the one that we should do. And I look at it and I say, actually, maybe you do your idea and I do my idea and you are effective with one crowd and I'm effective with another crowd. Right. And, and, and to I get me, an amen. Hallelujah. Right. There, there is no one way to do this. And, it, and you can look at it in any different number of ways from our society. So religion, take that for an example. Right. Some people are Baptists. Some people are Mormons. Some people are Lutheran. Some people are Catholic. They're Pentecostals. They're all effectively under this umbrella of religion, even if they don't believe it's the same umbrella, right? I understand that they all have varying beliefs, but they all believe in this spiritual idea and they're all going about it differently. But at the end of the day, you could collect all of them up and say, here's this group of of, um, religious people. And then you have a group of non-religious people and they have their differings, right? You have some people that might say, Hey, I'm a total atheist. You might have some that say, well, I'm a deist. You have some that say I'm agnostic, right? And and, and so they, they kind of fall into this maybe and and and, and, I, and bear with me as I I'm, I'm not trying to categorize sure. people as, yeah, in a very binary sense, like religious or non-religious per se, but I'm just saying like you can kind of group people, and even in that group, you have these differences. And I've met salespeople, you know, some salespeople, they there are some foundational things, right? But then there are some differences between salespeople. They have a different approach. And I think these different approaches, this is why, and, and, and the approaches are very unique to the individual. So this is why I don't believe that we can necessarily look at it and say, well, your idea, this post-libertarian idea or this current libertarian, you know, this current or the pre-libertarian, or how to, I don't really know how you categorize all this, but I don't think that there's a one size fits all. I know that the free staters, they're really big and they're like, look, our ideas are working. They are they're making some successes, right? right? Do I think that's the only way to do it? No, not the only way. Um, but I think that it takes a certain mindset. I think that the people that are involved that are making those gains are in a particular mindset, right? And that mindset helps them toward those gains. There are people that are willing to play the political game. And I think we need them. We need them to go out there and play the game because while they're playing the political game, you might have some activists that are playing the activist game, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that looks like. Maybe they're out protesting. Maybe they're out, um, you know, um, I don't know if it's appropriate to call the free staters activists, but we'll go with it for the time being. Maybe yeah. they're they're doing this free state project where they're like, hey, let's bring as many people we can, as we can uh, so that we have a large collective body to operate off of, right? And right. so while everybody's doing their own thing, we're having a little bit of impact here, a little impact here, a little bit of impact here, a little mm-hmm. impact here. You know, and to make it into the sales, imagine if you're a national company. Well, what you or maybe an international company, 
the way that you market your product in the United States is not going to be the same way that you market it in, say, Brazil or Germany cool. or Indonesia, right? You're going to be a little bit different because there are different customs or different things that appeal to people in these different countries. But it even kind of works that way in the United States. Your your language, the things, the, the imagery that you use may vary a little bit in Florida than they will New York City or or California or Montana, right? I mean, there might be some similarities, but there's going to be some differences too. And you right. can't just use the same exact approach everywhere and think that you're going to win. It just won't work. So now right. you're, uh, you can bring that image back up. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that was phenomenal. It, it actually answers my second question, which was how do we go post-libertarian infighting as you brought up? But I think it's just the realization that we are, it, it's a 10 lane highway. We're all going in the same direction to the same. It, some of us may get off an exit earlier, but right. we're all basically going to the same place. Uh, right. So why do we have to look over at each other people at other people's lanes and go, what you're doing is a waste of time. My lane right. is the way to go. Right. It, it has never made sense to me. And I think one of the things they're using to justify that is that the, this whole idea of time preference, they, they're not so, so they view, playing politics as the long game right and it, they 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 believe we might not make it to 2024 and we're definitely not going to make it to 2028 call right. it black pill call it whatever you want to right they go it, it, with the 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 deadline is in front of us right right and that reminded me of uh being a business owner being a leader and, and this stephen covey thing and that things can be urgent and not urgent and important and not important and right. so Important is it's high in value, not mm -hmm. important is it's low in value. Mm -hmm. Urgent is about deadlines. It's got to happen right now. Not urgent is it can be put off. And one of the things that I think one of the mistakes that we make, uh, especially early on in leadership, is that we we tend to get consumed by the urgent, mm -hmm. essentially, right here, right here, this quad one, urgent and important. These are things like crises. Um, mm -hmm. the, the deadline driven and what this leads to though is stress burnout which ultimately it, it's sort of a self-perpetuating problem because when you focus on these things they don't change right you don't implement the systems and the processes you're not fixing the algorithm right and then you end up stressed burnout you're right and then whoop, back into the loop right right and that's where where people go to die i feel like this is maybe where the post libertarians are they see the world as it is and they go man we have to address this immediately well that's great but then what do you do next then what do you right. do next then what do you if you're successful what do you do next what do you do next someone as a leader has to step in and go we have to talk about the long game and that are right. the things that are important right but not urgent and politics, right. like you said, does nothing but give us a unique platform in which to reach more people. Because as as brilliant as I think a lot of the agorist ideas are, the Bitcoins, the homesteading, the all of these things I think are brilliant. Ultimate end of the road for us a, as we reach it. DL, they don't work when the tanks roll in if you don't have people standing shoulder to shoulder with you, in my opinion. Right. You can't get 10 of your buddies and just say, like, look, look at Waco. They did everything agorist. Let's focus on our religion and put mm -hmm. our families first. Let's, you know, let's weaponize ourselves, put up a lot of guns, and the government still burn children alive to the ground with tanks. Right. 
So they're not going to leave you alone, but they will leave a million people alone. Right. And if you, if they are standing shoulder to shoulder in unison. And so somebody, in my opinion, has to step in and do the long game and say, you know, this may take longer, but mm-hmm. we're never going to accomplish anything if we don't feed the algorithm correctly. And that's how right. I view voting as well. Do I think voting in the presidential election in 2024 is going to change my world? Absolutely not. But as you established earlier, it's going to give the organization that I'm using to reach people a mm-hmm. lot more credibility. It's right. going to give them a lot of much bigger platform. It's going to give us the ability to say, you know, we're not just number three. We're like number three by th- this smaller, smaller margin. And right. If this or this happens, hey, it's anybody's show at this point. Um, right. And that that's all we're doing is feeding the algorithm, in my opinion, when we're playing this politics game. Now, what I will agree on is that uh, things are bad. Things are real yes. bad. And if you are going into libertarian activism and believing that it, it, you are going to support a campaign for president, they're going to win and fix your life. You're you're in a bad spot. You need to take a step back. <laughs> right. And you do need to focus on yourself. This was a tweet out and it went a little viral and some folks got mad at me. And I said, look, if you don't have a thousand dollars in the bank, that needs right. to be priority number one. Don't go starting your podcast. Don't go to a county meeting. Don't, right. Get involved and set up a table at your school. Go do some DoorDash and put $1,000 in the bank. Because right. ultimately, if you can't buy your own food when you go out with your friends, why would they respect and listen to your ideas? Right. It's, it's so extremely important to focus on who we are. And, and so that I, I can sort of see that bounce back and forth. You've been a leader before. You're a leader right now. How do you see these two things and how they impact? Uh, so the way that... State so great question. The way that this works is this quadrant. According to the book, the ideal position is to be in quad two and that a lot of people operate in quad one, the very important, the very urgent, you know, so they're basically putting out fires and this is, you know, and, and I don't want to necessarily box people in because I haven't, I haven't really sat down to think exactly where libertarians are, but we can kind of, we can operate on what we understand at this current moment. And so assume for a moment that we believe that these that the, the those who call themselves a post-libertarian are operating in quad one, right? That's the way I and and right. And and then we might say, well, we think we need to be in quad two. Now I think that quad two is as anybody that's watching can look at it and see like there's activities on there. So to me, quad two can be all the varying activities that might be valuable in spreading liberty. So that means maybe running a candidate. That means maybe going out and protesting. That maybe means going door to door knocking, taking your affiliate tent and going to events and talking to people about liberty. So it's all these different things. Maybe it's hosting a book club at your house and bringing just 10 people over right? One person impacting 10 people at one time or five, even right. five people, right? And saying, hey, I'm going to help you grow you um, in your understanding of libertarianism. Maybe it's, you know, you mentioned earlier that I was involved in Toastmasters. So maybe I sit down and I, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have time for Toastmasters at the prescribed meetings, but they can come over to my house and maybe just for 10 minutes, we talk about ways to improve their communication on the things that I have learned by attending. Right. So all those things are in quad two. And then quad one is like, hey, city council is getting ready to vote on this crazy thing. We need to get out there. We need to react right away. It's important and it's mm-hmm. urgent. We got to do something. You know, the um, 
the, the at the national level. The president is, you know, basically making edicts and finding ways to implement them. We need to get out there. That's important. That's urgent. So then you start looking, you say, all right, well, then we've got what, what about this quad three and quad four? Well, in the book, the way that he describes it is that the only way that you can get to quad two, because a lot of people are operating primarily in quad one, they're doing all the, they're putting out fires. The only way that they can get to where they're, they're, they're really, um, operating with the important but not urgent things so they're very important but they're not fires is to take away from quad three and quad four mm, particularly yeah. quad four so then we start looking what are the behaviors that we're engaging in as libertarians that might fall into quad four maybe those behaviors are fighting with each other over trivial matters right maybe they're hey you know what um i could dial back my social media a little bit you know, yeah. I can dial back this or that. And, and, and I think it will vary from person to person because we're all going to be doing different things and we're all going to be doing different things that aren't particularly productive. And so then yeah. and, and so we start dialing back in the areas where it's reasonable to dial back quad three, quad four, the not important and maybe the urgent stuff and maybe the not important and not urgent at all. Because let's be honest, is it really important or urgent to respond to that person? that doesn't seem to understand capitalism, you know, as a defi definition, right. as we understand followers. it, probably not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is it important to, you know, if it's an urgent thing, but it's not really important, we know that it's not important, you know, maybe I'm just gonna, I'm, I'll use myself as an example. I spent a lot of time putting together responses to Cato, but I okay. didn't really spend a lot of time, uh, to a to to two uh, tw on two different ex uh, uh, on on two instances, and but I, what I didn't do is I didn't sit down and say, is this really urgent? Is it really important? So it might have been not important, but maybe urgent because you know, mm -hmm. in the media, Spawn. it's urgent because something is coming out and it's like, oh, everybody's talking about it, so it's urgent. But the question mm -hmm. is, is it important? Right. Yeah. And so I think this is where libertarians really need to get rather than fighting each other. And I think fighting each other for the most part is going to be quad four. And, yeah. and this is why I oppose it so much. And this is why I tend to be a lot more flexible. Like I don't you'll almost never hear me say this person is not a libertarian. I would rather say this idea is not a libertarian idea or this idea is not, you know, it's missing the mark on what a proper libertarian idea is. And then we can talk about the idea. But I think that fighting yeah. a person saying this person is not libertarian, I think that totally is in quad four and we totally need to get rid of it. And this was the basis yeah. of my my tweet when I said we need to get to, uh, you know, post liber what did I say, post, oh, um, post infighting. Fighting. Yeah, post-infighting libertarianism needs to be a thing, right? Yeah. Because what we need to do is we need to say, like, do I really need to fight with this person? Do I need to call this person out on whatever silly thing that they said? Yes. Is it that big of a deal? Yeah. Probably not. It's no. pro And I'm probably going to spend a whole lot more energy and time fighting them than I will actually convincing them. You know, right. and I can do other things. Like, let's just say that between you and I, you say something crazy offensive. I could argue and be like, oh, dude, you're a total bigot. And this is a terrible thing that you said. I can't believe you. Or I could just get to know you and try to figure out what is it that made you even think of that idea? 
right? And, and through the process of getting to know you, I've developed a relationship, which means that I have developed a little bit of um, ability to speak to you at some later point. But we jumped the gun on that, right? And yeah, so did. those are the things that we need to, I think we need to be doing as a community rather than fighting. Because the first thing that made me, that the first thing that crossed my mind a moment ago when you were talking about like, hey, if we have to stand shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, if we're all in fighting, mm-hmm. the only way that we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder is if all hell absolutely breaks loose. Because right. if the more that you're my enemy, the more it's going to take for me to stand by your shoulder. Right. And until the bullets are literally flying by my head, if I hate (laughs) you enough, I'm not willing to stand by you. And we like, look, I know movies aren't real, but there's a certain level of reality that we can see in human behavior in movies. And we see this all the time in movies. Right. You got these two factions that hate each other and then they realize we hate each other, but we're going to have to bury this hatchet for a time being because Right. right now the bullets are coming our way. We don't have time to fight each other at this point. And so the question is, do we as a community really want to make it to that point before we're, before we're willing to work with each other? I think that's a bad recipe. And I think that we need to figure out what hatchets we can bury now sooner than later so that we can stand yeah. shoulder to shoulder and get as closer to that quad two as we can. And that quad two encompasses a lot of things. It, and and, I'll, and so I, I had mentioned the podcast that I was talking about that I had done where I labeled everybody. Right. One of the things that I labeled Vermin Supreme as a vaudeville guy. And at first I was like, oh, I don't really like this guy, you know, because I, I wasn't really keen on the things that he was doing. But then I realized, you know what? He is getting some attention. That's important. Right. We need to get that attention. And vaudeville has a place in the Liberty community. Yeah. Right. And so – he there there is a place for vaudeville or for those theatrics in quad two just as much as there's a place for the people that want to put on a suit and tie and play the political game just as much as those who want to put on a t-shirt and get out and protest with the sign and tell everybody that hey war is terrible it's evil right there's a place in quad two for all three of those and more that is the big tent quad two yeah that dude i I am. I promise. I haven't had that much. I I have. I have, <laughs> I have nothing but to add. Okay. It is. It is. It is hard to make me speechless. But you nailed every point. So I'm going to shut up, and we're going to take a question. Uh, this question is from my very best friend from childhood. Uh, actually married my wife. Uh, he conducted the ceremony, and okay. he has a great question. That he has come across. So let me give you some background on, on this guy because mm-hmm. I find that there are you mentioned the Ron Paul revolution earlier, and that's where like most people found liberty. I right. there was another moment, and it was I, I call it the Trump moment in 2016, where a lot of us were 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 so disgusted with the state of the world that mm-hmm. we started looking, and Gary Johnson was kind of like a soft pillow to land on. The thing right. was. By following Gary Johnson, we got in these other circles, <laughs> and eventually, right. uh, some of us have have have, have not. But uh, in, anyways, uh, he he was a, a Johnson supporter back in 2016, um, and has has kind of had issues with the whole liberty movement, and it all stems from this one question. So I'm hoping uh, to get your thoughts on it. He says, oh "Yeah, 
how do you solve the purity test problem when you attract people and candidates to the LP? Easy question. Believe it or not. For me, in my opinion. Okay. You talk about ideas. That's it. I don't worry about whether or not somebody's a libertarian. Is in very rare cases have I said that somebody is not a libertarian. And the reason that I did it is because they didn't identify as a libertarian, at least in, in the long term. And right. their ideas didn't reflect it, but mostly because they didn't generally identify. And the last person that I, that I did that with was Donald Trump. Because he started broaching this, you know, like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty libertarian. I, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, you have, as far as I know, you have never identified as a libertarian. So why would I defend you as a libertarian when you've never identified with it and you seem to only be doing it now that it's politically expedient, right? But I, I do that not as a purity test, but as a matter of objective fact, right? Like, mm -hmm. hey, when somebody says, why did you say that? I would say, well, because he's never said that. But then you yeah. look at somebody like Justin Amash, who has consistently over many, many years identified as a libertarian, identified right. as a Hayekian libertarian specifically. Mm -hmm. And he has uh, presented a lot of his ideas in the framework as you know, in, in the context of libertarianism, even if he didn't necessarily right. use all the jargon, right? Now, we can argue and debate over whether this idea that he's espoused is a libertarian idea or fitting for libertarian, but ultimately, he has identified as one for a very long time, and he has identified very specific concepts that we hold dear in the libertarian uh, community as ideas that he holds dear, right? So, the, you know, so, so it would be reasonable to say like, okay, he's a I'm going to go with it. You're a libertarian. Now let's talk about a particular idea, right? And, and, okay. and even, even libertarians that I meet that I'm kind of questioning, I'm like, hmm, you know, I don't know if you're right. I just, I just go with it. Cause I'm like, let's just talk about the idea because the reality is at the end of the day, the reason that purity tests are so problematic is because you are basically fighting somebody over their identity. And as much as people hate the idea of identity politics, we all at least appreciate having an identity, even if it doesn't right. get to the level of identity politics. I like if somebody were to say, DL, you are, um, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good looking for a gay man. I'm going to be like, the I'm not gay. on Forest Mommy's chat, though. Right, right. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm not gay. It's not that I have a problem with gay people. I just right. happen not to be gay. I enjoy my identity as a straight man, not so much these days because I'm married, but when I was a single man, I enjoyed it because I was out looking for a significant other who would happen to be a woman, right? So therefore, that identity was important to me. You know, not because I had a problem with somebody else per se, but because there was a particular thing that I was seeking. So I think we need to get away from this idea of worrying about purity tests, worrying about who's a real libertarian, and just talk about the ideas because it's a lot less combative. It's so much easier if somebody says, well, I believe in UBI. Well, I think that there are some problems with UBI and how it works in the libertarian ideology. So let's talk about that. Guess what? Now I have totally separated this idea of UBI from who this person believes they are. So now they don't have to defend who they are. 
they only have to defend this idea, right? And that, and that's what makes identity right. politics so difficult because people intertwine their idea, or I'm sorry, their um their identity with an idea. That's where identity politics is really problematic. Yeah. We in the liberty community should avoid that. We should avoid almost forcing people into identity politics, which is what I think happens. When we start fighting people about the identity, I feel like we're kind of boxing them in and forcing them to engage in identity politics because we're basically saying, rather than saying this idea doesn't work, we're saying effectively your identity doesn't work. Right. So we're kind of like arguing identity politics while we might dislike it. And I'm like, stop doing it. You, you, you want to get away from it? Talk about ideas. You want to stop the purity test? Get away from it. Because yeah. here, think about it this way. Let's say you identify as a libertarian and you have like 10 ideas that I think are not libertarian. Right. I could say, well, you're not a really libertarian. And all we're going to argue about is whether or not you are a libertarian or not. That's, that's right. what we're going to argue about. Yes. But there's 10 ideas we're not touching. 10. Yeah. 10. Right. And so and let's just say I take one of those and I say, well, let's talk about this idea. Let's just say it's UBI. And I say, let's talk about UBI. And we work this out. And let's say I convince you of that, man, UBI is really not a great libertarian idea. And then you go, man, you know, and it won't happen overnight, but let's just say over time, you, you, you start to agree with me. Guess what? I've just taken 10% of the ideas that I don't like from you and I've removed them and I've, and I've switched you away. So now you're only, you know, in my, I, I, if, if you will, you're only 90% not libertarian as opposed to a hundred percent. Right. But it's much easier to bring somebody away from an idea than it is an identity. So get away from it, you know, and, th and that's what we need to do in the Liberty community. We need to focus on ideas. That's it. Because there's lots to talk about there. Man, there is, it doesn't I matter got, what the idea is. There's so much, but I got to stop you on that quote. That's that's a clip right there um, about, oh man, I got so excited and I missed it uh, about don't take, don't, I'll, I'm going to go find it. I'm very sorry. My brain it's all is, good. It's all is good. not working great right now. Um, okay. So a couple things, what it, what I liken it to is my own personal experience. And that is with um, church and the evangelical church trying to yes. get people to come into the church. Right. And, and that, that is that if you tell people, well, you can't come to church because you're not a Christian. Well, right. how, how does that work? The, right. the goal should be get them in the room, get them here. Right. right? It, right. If, if they have one thing where they go, you know, I might be a libertarian. You know mm -hmm. what? You might be. Come on in. Right. Whatever that is, we need to be welcoming them with open arms because what happens is when you get in the room and mm -hmm. you're surrounded by people who believe this, now you've multiplied the influence. And right. then the, the they may have this belief system that they they had in their old life or whatever it mm -hmm. is. And then the pastor breaks it down. It, and it doesn't even have to be you who breaks it down. Right. They're listening to uh, you know, the pastor or the podcaster. Or the you know the the candidate, and they go, right. wow, these people that I identify with believe this. Maybe right. I should explore it a little bit more. Right. Uh, so that I think uh, is, is the perspective on it. And there are all these things that libertarians are never going to see eye to eye on across the 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 abortion debate, the immigration debate, all of these things. 
And we need to exist in a world where that's okay because the reality is our mission, it goes back to our mission and our goal. Is mm-hmm. our mission and our goal to find the true libertarian or is our mission right. and our goal to grow? And if our mission and our goal is to grow, you have to get – I don't want people to decide whether or not they are libertarian based on their opinion on immigration or their uh, their position on abortion. Right. I want people to decide they're libertarian, embrace our philosophy, and then right. sort of self-discover these how these issues affect them. Right. That you don't put the cart in front of the horse. You don't right. have to be a Christian to come to church. Church is not for Christians. Liberty is not for libertarians. This right. is so we can reach the masses and show them right. away. So that's number one. The other thing, God, this was so good, DL. Man, I'm sorry. I'm a little fired up because you got me fired up. You you have these these three things that that is identity. And, and I think a lot of this not a real libertarian purity test stuff is we are so small. Every side of this party, the 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 guys who are Mises to the fakertarians to the the right. all, all of it, they we're fighting over a word and what that word means. And because right. we are small, we are worried we are gonna lose the sanctity and grip on that word. Right. We're, wor- we're worried that there is going to be a group of infiltrators who come in and make libertarian mean something not libertarian. Right. And I, I get that fear. But if we are operating in that fear, we're not bringing people in and letting the, the so he, this is, this is what I liken it to is, do you believe in your product? Mm-hmm. If you believe in the product, which is Liberty, then I'm not worried about people who have currently a different ideology coming in and right. changing it because right. my product is better, plain right. and simple. And the more they look at it, the more they study it, the more they're exposed to it, the more they're going to realize this product is better and embrace it. So I right. want everybody in the room. If you marched in Charlottesville, I want you in the room. If you wore right. a pussy on your face at, at the Women's March and, and you ha- your, your pronouns are she, z, the alien pronouns or whatever – I want you to be in the libertarian right. circles we are this product can 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 really change anybody and right. because it really is the perfect political ideology as I see it. So if I believe in my product, I'm not scared of anybody. Right. Because I know I'm right. And I know right. this is right. And I know eventually you're going to see the way. And so then when you get them to embrace that philosophy, like you said, then you can separate ideas. Right. And you can. And, but the key in discussing ideas is not discussing, is this a libertarian idea? So I had Spike on for episode one. And one of his best quotes from us, they don't give a shit whether it's libertarian or not. Right. And they don't. They, right. they, they, that the, the especially new people they don't make their value system on whether or not this is libertarian or not right so we have to make good sound arguments that meet them where they are and on their value system on these ideas absolutely show them that our product is better at doing that and that right. I think is a, a, a great bow on it because as you said earlier those are the things that surprise people. Right. When we can come and say, you know what? I agree with your outcome that you're looking for. Here's why my system and process meets right. it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. You're a salesperson, right? Yes. Okay. Every day for the rest of my life. I used, my first job was selling vacuum sweepers door to door. 
I hated it. I, I got one. <laughs> I, 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 I sold yeah, Kirby I vacuum like, sweepers. You know, I hated I, it. I have a, I have a Kirby. I yeah. It, it so, there's no. It's a school of hard knocks. Yeah. But that that's why when a kid knocked on the, the door with mine, I was like, you know what? I appreciate the hustle. You right. Got it. Yeah. So it, here's what I learned from that experience. Observationalist, right? Is that we would sometimes go around and you heard the stories about some guy that would you know kind of dog on the other vacuum sweepers, right? You know whatever, whatever they were, Rainbow and some of the other companies. And but by and large, the techniques that we were taught, the things that I observed that actually worked, were showing people why my product was good for them. That's it. Yeah. Not showing them why somebody else's product was bad for them, why mine was good for them. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that's what libertarians really need to focus on is why is my product good for you? Right? Um, in, in, instead of saying... I'm sorry. I said, put you in quarantine. Right. No, it's just oh, a quick cough. And we got the um, Yeah, one, right. one quick cough, and you're right. It's a death but, sentence. But, 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 and I think that what we, I, I think it's an easy trap to fall into is to dog on the other person's product, whatever that is. Yeah. Okay. I'm doing the more political route. This person's doing the post libertarian route. This person's doing the, you know, the activist route, whatever that route might be. And then talking trash. No, just talk, talk and to learn to deliver the message of why your product in the way that you're delivering it is the best for the person that you're talking to. The benefit. And by doing that, yeah. you will naturally find the people that need to hear that message. Yeah. The post-libertarian crowd, they're going to find the people naturally. They're going to find the people that, that need to hear the message as they deliver yeah. it. The political Absolutely. crowd, they're going to find their, you know, the, the crowd that needs to hear it. The, you know, uh, the, the crass crowd, the, the, uh, the very, you know, a decorous crowd, yeah. you know, whatever the crowd is, you, you know, we, and what we need to learn is how to converge together when we need to mm -hmm. and, and, and work alongside each other. That's all. That's all we like. I don't need to convince if you're a post libertarian, I don't need you to necessarily buy into my idea. I just need to be able to be on sufficient terms with you so that if I run into somebody that I realize is not my crowd, I can direct them to you. Yes. Right? That's all I need. And that happens. And if as long as we're united in that front, we're united to be able to say, um, uh, I, I, I understand where everybody fits and, you know, and, I, and I'm working on uh, developing the relationship with the individual that's right before me, then we can direct them. Right. right. And, and I, I'm sorry, I, I, I think I'm diverging a little no, bit. You I, know. No, I know. I, I think this is perfect. I think that is uh, something that the Liberty Unity movement that that kind of uh, took hold with me and Reed and, and David uh, mm -hmm. earlier this year. And a lot of people jumped on. And obviously you're a big advocate for is that, look, I we don't if you come across somebody who's interested in liberty, but maybe you you're not that puzzle piece that fits them. Right. You should have faith and confidence in others in this movement who see the world maybe a little bit differently than you right. and be able to say, you know what? I think you'll like this guy. And right. there's, but not a lot, not enough people do that. They go, ah, well, I don't want to strengthen that fact. And so that, that man, just, you nailed it. So, uh, okay. Well, uh, let's get into final thoughts Okay, uh, and, and we are <clears throat> we're going to change it up a little bit for tonight. All right, let's thoughts. see what happens.
talk about that. Got all the cool segues, man. What's up with hey. that? I gotta, I gotta oh, step up look. the game here on mine. I can do, you know, part time, part, part, part time hustler here. Um, so let's talk about being a dad. Um, Hi. One of the things that uh, my, my son just turned seven months old. Yours is two and a half. Is that right? uh, almost three. Three in February. Almost three, right? So you're you're a good bit ahead of me. One of the things that I do worry about, I see the state of the world and I go, man, how am I going to lead a young man to, to be able to conquer this world? Um, and there's a term that I keep coming up with that I think is going to be extremely important, and that is to be an empathetic alpha. Okay. Um, what do the, what, because I see you and I go, that's alpha, right? You're a leader. You're, you're an unquestioned leader. You, you, you garner respect wherever you go. Uh, but you do it by caring about other people. Um, what is it that you, when I say the words empathetic alpha, what is it the things that come to mind for you? And how is that potentially something that you are put, you know, basically training your son to be? I think you may be the first person that's ever described me as empathetic. Um, <laughs> it, maybe, which maybe, is, maybe I think I think observationalist, honestly, is right. a different word for empathetic because empathy is simply trying to understand another person's perspective. Yeah. I'm not always good at it, but I try. And one of the things that I've found through a lot of tough experiences, one of them was a prior failed marriage, is that listening is insanely important. And I'll give you a great example from a marriage perspective that I haven't experienced yet because my son is still learning to talk. So Mm -hmm. the communication is still very, very limited. But I remember in, in virtually every man, every, every, every person that's married or has a significant other um, has probably experienced this or knows somebody that has. But my ex-wife would sometimes say something like, you know, you never do this. Maybe like you, you don't take me on a date anymore. And I would be like, well, I did that last week. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm like, what, is, what are you talking about? Never. We just did this like <laughs> a week ago. How are you talking about we never? Right. And what I wasn't doing was hearing what she was really trying to say. Because a lot of times what people say and what they mean are not congruent. Because people people are, they speak casually. They, they, they speak off the cuff. And they're not always thinking like, I am a speaker at an event and I got to get all my words correctly. They're like, I'm just talking to you, right? right. And so sometimes the, the emotion will come out. And so what I learned was, you know, not just, you know, this rigid, like, okay, they're speaking in absolutes. Clearly that can't be, you know, logic, logic, logic. It's just more like, okay, here's what they said. The words at face value that came out. Now I need to go dig in and find out, is that what they really meant? Because if your significant other says, you've never take, you don't take me out on a date anymore. Um, unless you're never like, like unless it's been like two yeah. years since you've That's taken them true, out on a date. Right? The likelihood is what they mean is you don't take me out to en- enough to the point that it feels like you never do it, yeah. right? It's much different than yeah. the words that actually came out of their mouth. And so for my son, I try to remember that like, 
and, and it's it's a lot easier in some ways and a lot harder in other ways because he cannot communicate so i have to try to figure out like what is he trying to communicate which is total guesswork at some point and then you it starts becoming a little bit more clear once he has language skills and he can start you know saying things right um but even then it's still difficult because he might say something like hurt and you're like okay what hurts what? exactly yeah. you know and then he might you know point in a very general direction like hurt and you're like 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 your nose your face your eye like I, I don't know what you're pointing at or he may not even point at all he may just kind of you know use some some kind of motion or whatever right and so you know for so it's a good reminder that hey i need to dig deeper and i need to have the patience to dig a little bit deeper to figure out what it is that he's trying to communicate because what we say and what we're trying to communicate are not always the same thing 100%. and so one of the things that i want to teach him is to be patient with people and to really think about it and my wife was um you know she was very good at this at the very beginning of our relationship and i don't want to say that she's not good at it now but you know what happens is after a while you kind of get into this groove and you kind of start to feel like you know the person and mm -hmm. so you you don't do the same things that you might have done right. initially but i remember when we were first dating she would say things like i see that you're very passionate right now which was more like why are you being angry why are you being an angry cuss right now what is going on what's up right, tell me right, about this right. right but she was like i see that you're being very passionate about this tell me a little bit more and she would ask more questions right and mm -hmm. she would be she would patiently listen is and, and then ask more questions and then eventually we would get to what it is that i was trying to say which was often not what i was saying initially and so I think that one of the things that I want to raise him to be is somebody that listens to people and hears what they're having, what they say, and then question it and say, okay, is what they just said exactly what they mean? And it's usually not. And a series of questions can help you identify whether it is or whether, whether you've basically guessed, right? And so I think that maybe you're empathetic yeah. as far as the alpha. Um, you know, it comes with a negative connotation. I just want him to be confident in who he is. And, and if that makes him an alpha, then so be it. But I want him to be confident. And <clears throat> I remember reading a book a long time ago. I don't remember what book it was, but it was one of those like psychological, you know, like I think it was like a, a, a book written by a psychologist about men. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was from right. a religious perspective. And th there was a story in there about taking their child to the doctor. And they suggested, or maybe the, the story was about, I don't remember exactly, but the child would sit there and the doctor would say, okay, you know, tell me about whatever it is that's, you know, that you're not, it's not, that's, that you're not feeling good about, right? And then at the end, the parent would say, okay, Johnny, is there anything else that you need to tell the doctor, right? And what they were doing was training the child to say, um, to believe that whatever they said was important. Yeah. Right. And so therefore, hey, just because he's a doctor doesn't mean that what you have to say is not important. So before you leave, make sure if what you believe is important gets said. And I think that I would want to teach him that in a communication with somebody else, if he's got something to say, that he's not afraid to say it. That doesn't mean that he just blurts right. it out and be like, you're a jackass. Right. Like, like, I don't yeah. want to do that because that's right. not very, very productive. But if you want to Right. But, but if he wants to say like, Hey, I, I don't feel like you're hearing me, he should say that. Yeah. 
And you should be confident in saying that, right? If I had a daughter, same thing. I would want her to feel confident in saying what she felt, you know, uh, maybe even more so. I think boys mm -hmm. tend to be a little bit more willing to speak what's on their mind um, until they're basically shushed into not doing so. And I think girls, um, I think unfortunately right now in the way that our society works, you kind of got to go a little bit out of your way to, to teach them, hey, speak up and, and speak your piece. And maybe even in some cases, uh, physically assert your peace if you have to right you know little boys are much more willing to get in a fight than girls will um, as a rule of thumb um and so you know to me the uh, the alpha portion of this is basically more like assertive like i want you to be empathetic and assertive and yeah. if that ends up making people believe that you're an alpha well so be it yeah i'm, I'm okay with that yeah, uh, but as long as problem. you spoke up and you walked away from whatever situation that you were in, feeling like your voice was heard, and whatever it is that was that that you needed to address got addressed, that's what I want. And, and then the empathetic part, you listened and were Correct. concerned about the the right, the work of right. You didn't just blow it off and be like, "You son of a bitch, you're a moron," blah blah right. blah, like that, like that. Yeah, yeah, you got heard, but not in a very meaningful sense i want because at the end of the day i can talk to you however i want but if my idea of whatever whatever it is i'm trying to communicate to you is important enough then i should reel it in to the point where it gets delivered in a manner where it has an impact on you i mean if it's Absolutely. that important then i should worry about my delivery yes right delivery and part of delivery is listening and knowing your audience and and i'll tell you right now on Twitter, uh, I do this. People don't realize it, but I do it. If I know somebody's a little bit more rough and tough, mm -hmm. I might, I, I, I might not put on the gloves so quickly. And right. other people I know, they're a little bit more sensitive, and I generally withhold a little bit, and I just try to interact with people based on how I understand they will receive it. Yeah, right. Because if you're too soft to somebody that's rough and tough then it may not get through just in the same way that if you're too harsh on somebody that's a little more sensitive, it won't get through. Absolutely. But ultimately my goal, if I'm going to bother interacting with you, I want you to hear and understand and receive whatever it is that I'm trying to tell you. And I'm, and, and I will do whatever I have to do to make sure that happens because ultimately my goal is not to deliver it in a particular way. It's to get it received. That's what I want. Yes. The audience is the message. The reception mm -hmm. is the goal. Right. Right. So right. it's and not that's about how it, and, and, it, and it comes across as empathy. Um, and, and I tend to look at it just like it's productive. I, yes. I, I To me, everything needs to be productive. Yes, absolutely. Guys, I, I think that is a phenomenal place to end. What do you want to plug? Where can the good folks follow you, uh, see your uh, your podcast, all of that stuff? So you've had it up on screen. So hopefully people have been taking oh, a peek. Yeah. Liberty Dad Pod on YouTube. I'm sorry, on um, uh, Twitter. And then on YouTube, it, you, you can type in youtube.libertydad.com and it'll take you to my YouTube page. I am excited and I will even kind of announce it because I haven't done it just yet. One of the candidates that's running for city council, his name is Pastor Tubb. He and I were talking and we came to this idea that he should be a co-host on my podcast. So he is now going to be a co-host, but not remotely 
in person, which I think nice. makes a world of difference for me. And so we actually just recorded this last Tuesday, our first podcast episode. And the podcast that we're doing, that I'm doing for season three, we are walking through this book. Oh, well, not through the book. We're yes. walking through chapter three of this book, Introduction to the Libertarian Party. And in chapter three, it's 25 uh, libertarians on 25 issues. And there's only like maybe a paragraph on each issue. And I said, you know what? That would make for a great series. And so we are going to basically talk about all these different things and why libertarians believe them, uh, believe these ideas, and then how we believe that a libertarian, maybe not utopia, but a libertarian-driven world would approach and how these things would um, would benefit people. So we just did the first one. We did it on healthcare, and we're going to continue down the line. And I think it's. It, I'm really excited to 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 put this out. This will come out Monday night, 10 p.m. Uh, I'll be. It'll it'll come out on my YouTube channel. It'll come out on Facebook, and I'll post it. You know, on all the different social media. So you know, just follow me. If you follow me on Twitter, that's where I am on the. Uh, that's where I am the most. Yep. You will definitely be kept abreast of everything that I'm doing because that, that's where I'm the most active. I'm not so active on Facebook. Um, and then YouTube, of course, is just where I post all the videos. So go to youtube.libertydad.com, hit the subscribe button, make sure you do whatever it is that makes it pop up for you and says, hey, Liberty Dad has just posted something new. And um, uh, and then you'll, you'll have it or just follow me on Twitter and, you know, keep an eye out and I will, I will be posting uh, all these things. So that's what I've got going on. We've got a lot of things going on in the party right now. We've got three candidates, so... Um, you know, look up Libertarian Party of Duval County. You can find us on Meetup and uh, Facebook. We're, we're very active on Facebook. Well, there it is, folks. Thanks, DL, so much for coming on. What a phenomenal conversation. I, know I have loved it. Make sure you go follow uh, DL at Liberty Dad Pod and YouTube.LibertyDadPod.com. Monday nights, we start season three. Thank you yeah. guys for tuning in to Sell Liberty. Thanks, DL. You guys have a great evening. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankowitz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policy 
policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.